It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle an hour every Saturday or two when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that hasn't found its way into the middle of the conversation enough. A beautiful day here in Midtown Manhattan. Talk Radio 77 to ABC, the most powerful radio station in the nation. We've got the veritable A-team here on Super Sunday. We've got... Diego on the board, Kevin running air traffic control. We even got Matt doing the phones. If you'd like to get in on the queue, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Plenty of ways you can listen to us on a good old-fashioned terrestrial radio. You can stream it. And you can contact me at Rep Wiener, wienerwabc at gmail.com, or just 800-848-WABC, 848-9222. Great day today. It's a big sports weekend. Apparently, it's a big football game coming up. I guess it's tomorrow. I'm kidding. I know it's the Super Bowl. I just have zero interest. I mean, it's a little bit galling how many New Yorkers are walking around saying hook em eagles or whatever, fly eagles. This is Philadelphia. We can't – We aren't we constitutionally prohibited from rooting for a Philadelphia team? I know we have many listeners to WABC in the Philadelphia area. The signal goes all the way well beyond that. I guess Kansas City, I have no reason not to like them. I really don't care. It's remarkable. You know, if you're a Ranger fan, you know, I'm a hockey fan. If you're a Ranger fan, your game tonight starts at 7 p.m. So you have to really be committed to hockey to be watching that game at 7. They got Vlad Tarasenko from St. Louis, and he already scored his first goal. And more importantly, much more importantly, that Jordan, Jordan's team got a win today. They won 7-2. to Jordan picked up an apple, had an assist on, I think, his first shift. He was a plus one. He's flying high. Their previous game, they lost. Well, they didn't lose, but they were leading with eight seconds left, and they tied it up. They don't play overtime at his level. And so he is doing great. Took a little tumble this week at school. Had to go pick him up, take him to the ER to have his noggin checked out. Just has a bump on his head. But he's been telling everyone who will listen that he's in concussion protocol. He is another wiener that likes to spin a story. But uh, he is doing great. Plenty of balloons in the news this week on the Middle Unplugged, the episode that I do in the middle of the week, which is kind of like this show, except with curse words. We talk a little bit about about the China balloon controversy. There was another another thing shot out of the sky in Alaska. I think James mentioned it during the news break. See, now here's the problem. Who's this bad news for? Frank Morano. All right, now why? Because this guy, he's obsessed with UFOs. We're going to be shooting down anything that comes over. We're just shooting things wantonly left and right now because no one wants to take any chances. And so if we're getting contacted, we're not going to know about it now. The other thing that's strange about the China story is that this one that they shot down yesterday over Alaska, the DOD spokesman said we don't know whose it was or where it came from. Do we not know everything that goes up in the air everywhere on the globe at all times? I mean – if we want to know who's taking extra corn chips from the front desk here at WABC, we have film that goes back like five years. Can't the DOD just, the Department of Defense, can't they just go look at their videotapes going back a couple of weeks and just say, well, when did this dopey balloon go up in the air and where did it go from? How hard can this be? But at the end of the day, there was a resolution passed in Congress this week condemning China for doing this. And, you know, we, we like to find areas where the left and right work together. It's worth noting, it didn't get a lot of attention, but many on the Republican side of the aisle wanted to do a real Joe Biden, you screwed this up resolution. And McCarthy instead chose to craft one that unified the Congress and good for him because it was passed by, in a bipartisan way and everyone got a chance to say the thing. We got together to condemn China. It's one thing we can all agree upon is that um, – we don't like Chinese balloons for some reason. Well, because 
I don't know. We don't like them. But you can listen to my podcast, The Middle Unplugged. Episode 16 is all about this. The new Republican House is off to a little bit of a bumpy start, I got to tell you. I kind of predicted this. They had their Twitter hearings, and I warned you. I warned you that testimony from a whole bunch of people. And basically the testimony was that we're, we're, uh, we're a private company. We're figuring out what to put on, what we shouldn't, what to take on, what to take off. It's complicated. We heard that people are constantly complaining that their stuff was on, was not on. Donald Trump, they, the big reveal at the hearing was Donald Trump's people called up because they were up. They were upset that Chrissy Teigen, I think is her name, said something mean about him. And so they wanted that taken down. Left and right, they're calling this private company and say, we don't like what you have on there. That's not censorship. It's a company trying to figure out how to run their company. Um, and it's it's complicated. Hey, if you and I were if, – if we all got together, all the listeners to this show, and we tried to do a social media company and we had people posting, we were going to have tough questions too. What language do you allow it on? What, what hate speech do you allow on? Do we let people put up instructions for making a bomb? Like, it's complicated. And it's a private company, and I think as a private company, we have to expect that they're going to have some tough decisions to make. But the big news this week, you know, in as much as people watch it, apparently the ratings were pretty low. The State of the Union, I have to say, I love me a State of the Union. I love the pomp. I love the traditions. I love a good speech. We don't have, you know, we all talk in 30-second sound bites. I like a speech. Democrat or Republican, I like watching. You know, I like what's going on. A little later, and I'm not going to do it now, and a little later, I will tell you the story of how I met, well, not really met, but how I had my first date with my future wife and Jordan's mom because I happened to be seated between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama at a State of the Union. It's a romantic story. Matt's always encouraging us to do as much romance as we can on, on angry radio, so that's what I'm doing. I'll tell you that story later. But the big issue that resonated at the State of the Union was basically the president saying that the Republicans didn't like, and that happens all the time. He said that some Republicans want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. Um, And a lot of Republicans completely lost their minds at this and started yelling and screaming and shouting. And all that stuff is generally frowned upon in States of the Union. There's clapping, but you're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. And some on the left were saying, oh, my God, this was such a brilliant jujitsu move by the president to kind of get them to get his opponents all riled up, get them to look crazy and get them to deny it. And on the right, they're all howling that this the president lies, the president lies. And, you know, lie used to be a word that we didn't use much in politics. You know, to use the other person of a lie used to be kind of you didn't really do that. Now it's all the time. But let's take a listen, if we're ready, let's take a listen to what the president actually said. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. That's a funny line for a Catholic guy. Well, so you notice he was very careful with what he said. He said sunset. That was in his prepared remarks. And he said some Republicans, even before they went really batty, he already had that in there. So he knew it was going to get a reaction. But the fact that it became the story that came out of that came out of the State of the Union, I think I think it was good for him and not great for his opponents. But there is this question of whether that is factually true. And it kind of I mean, I don't you know, I'm going to try to give it to you straight. It it is true. And you don't have to take it just for me. Listen to what Mitch McConnell had to say when he was asked about it. The Republicans want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. So is that true? Well, unfortunately, that was the Scott plan. That's not a Republican plan. That was the Rick Scott plan. So that's right. That's the Rick Scott. Rick Scott, for, for those of you who don't recall, he's the senator from Florida 
who was the head of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. He obviously didn't do a great job at that. And so, you know, a little bit of the backstory. He also challenged Mitch McConnell for the leadership. He put in his proposal that the whole Senate Campaign Committee basically sunset every law, including Social Security, including Medicare, meaning every year it's not you can't rely upon it to be there. You have to hope that Congress passes it. And it, to be honest, it is not that far out there a position for many Republicans. A lot of Republicans have this position. Rick Scott had it. Mike Pence talked about it. Mike Lee of Utah, he was around all week because he, he was one of the ones that was shown on camera saying that's not true. He's even gone as far as says, and there's a quote, it will be my objective to phase out Social Security and pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. He said it, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, George Bush said it back in the day, even something called, I'm looking to my notes here, the Republican Study Committee, signed by 150 Republican members, Lindsey Graham. It's not that uncommon to say it by Republicans. That's kind of, you know, remember, Republicans were only about only about 50% of them supported the creation of Medicare to begin with, only about 50% of them supported Social Security to begin with. Uh, you know, a lot of them think it's socialism or whatnot. So that when they reacted the way they did, um, they were reacting because, frankly, like Mitch McConnell said in that cut, it's not the position of the party. But it kind of reminds me how Republicans would always say Democrats want to defund the police when there's actually like five Democrats who've actually said that, but they hang it around the party. That's politics. You take unpopular things that your opponents have to say and you hang it around your opponent's neck. And so that, you know, you can stop whining about it so much. I mean, I was a little bit surprised that the Republicans seemed to think it was good. And you can tell McCarthy from the rostrum, you can see him trying to calm everyone down because I think he saw the handwriting on the wall that this wasn't a very good look. Um, so that's what happened this week. Let's get to some numbers of the week. Um, one number is, well, actually, you know what? While we're talking about the budget and while we're talking, you know, even if you, I mean, one of the reasons why Biden pointed it out is he wanted all the Republicans to agree we're not going to touch Social Security and Medicare. So here are some numbers. If you want to know what's in the budget, I'll make it easy for you. I am now going to tell you some of the big stuff that's in the budget. Medicare and Medicaid is 25 percent of the budget. That's health care. You know, I've, I've, you've heard me describe the budget as being uh, the, the federal government as being um, a health insurance company with a military, uh, an insurance company with a military, because most of it is insurance. Health insurance, 25 percent. Social Security, that's income insurance, 21 percent. The Department of Defense, 13 percent of the federal budget. Veterans and right retiree benefits, 7 percent. And interest on the debt is 7 percent. So those are some of the numbers. That's 75 percent, roughly, of the entire federal budget right there. And I think most of us would say, yeah, keep funding Social Security, keep funding Medicare, keep funding veterans benefits, keep funding. Obviously, you got to fund interest on the debt. So when... When the president gets the Republicans to agree we're not going to touch Social Security and Medicare, he's taken a big portion of the budget off the table, uh, and he probably wanted to do that. Now, if you think, well, let's let's find some of the other things. Let's get rid of the other things. Education is only 3%. Transportation or roads, 2%. Agriculture, 1%. Law enforcement, 1%. State Department, oh, you want to get rid of foreign aid? Yeah, that's 1%. So there's not a lot, a lot there. But the last number of the week I want to give you is the one I want to use to tee up our conversation from for after the break. And if you want to get in the queue, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And that number is $30 per dose. $30, $30 is the number. That's how much we're paying for the COVID vaccine right now. And because the president, he didn't mention this in the in the State of the Union, but he recently announced that the COVID emergency officially will end on May 11th. And because of that, the vaccine is going to go up to somewhere between 80 and $130 a dose. Why is it going up? Well, it's going up because during the emergency, during the height of COVID, we all decided we were going to have an experiment with national universal single payer health care. You might not have noticed it, but that's what happened. The federal government came in and they said, we're going to suspend all the normal laws of gravity. We're going to cut health insurance companies out of it. Anywhere you go to get a test, it's going to be free. If you, we want you to come in and get your vaccine, that's going to be free to you. They went to the, the, the insurance companies and they said, you're going to hold down the prices. That's going to be the law. And so when we get back for the break, I want to talk to you a little bit about why I think 
maybe we should not end the emergency. I mean, yes, let's end the emergency, but maybe we should keep some of the decisions we made. Maybe this experiment was not so bad when we get back. And as I said, when we get back, I'll also tell you the story about how I met Jordan's mom at the State of the Union. And at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in. He is hopping mad about the Sid, the Sid Rosenberg, Eric Adams relationship. That is a full-blown love affair. Thank you for being with us on The Middle. We'll see you on the other side. Listen, 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Nina bringing us in. 99 red balloons, originally in German, I think. 99 Luft balloons. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't know why that song. I know Astor, Rob Astorino used it last week. I don't know why that song is not just blown up everywhere. It's a song about a bunch of kids who buy balloons at the toy store, let them go up into into the sky, and they're confused for nuclear warheads, and nuclear war breaks out. Right? It's only like 10 degrees away from what actually is happening this week. Uh, so welcome back to the middle. We're talking a little bit about the federal budget. We're talking about the State of the Union is something that I think should have been talked about more. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And I pointed out that last week, without, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, without much notice, President Biden announced that the COVID emergency was going to be lifted. Now, that COVID emergency had been in place almost exactly, th- what, it's January, so it had been exactly three years. Every 90 days it had to be renewed. It gave the federal government these emergency powers, including Title 42, by the way, that thing we've talked about for a while. And Congress was already, Democrats and Republicans alike were ready to say, let's end this emergency by law. He said, no, let's do it in a more orderly fashion, so he announced himself that he's not just so it can be orderly done, unwind it, um, it's going to end officially on May 11th. Good. We agree that, frankly, the emergency part is over. Let's get back to normal. Um, I think you should have mentioned that in the State of the Union. I think people would have been bipartisan, in a bipartisan way, clapped about that. Uh, But as I said, during that emergency, we basically, without much discussion, with a Republican president, we basically declared we were going to have a single-payer National health care plan, universal health care, um, free tests, as I said, free vaccines, free treatments. It allowed states, nursing homes and hospitals extra money to treat everyone. And if you went out of a plan, if you went went out of network to get your care, it didn't matter. You were reimbursed like you were in, in plan. Uh, you can go to any doctor to be treated. And the federal government said that no one could be kicked off a government program for low-income people, Medicaid, during this period. There was no insurance company paperwork, no shopping around for a doctor and network, no waiting for approval or referral. This was an emergency. We acted like it was an emergency. And soon that will end. And now COVID is going to get treated like diabetes or a twisted ankle or any other health care need. But why should we do that? I mean, now the prices of COVID treatments are going to go up. Testing is going to be, getting tested is going to be more difficult. Many people will be kicked off of Medicaid. And remember that the, that the, the reason that the, the vaccine is going to be more expensive is that pharmaceutical companies want to jack up the price, and insurance companies will be tacking on more money for their profits. You, ladies and gentlemen, and I, we developed that vaccine. Remember Operation Warp Speed? That was all... Federal research and federal money, you know, we went in there. We basically, you know, nationalized is a strong word, but we worked with the pharmaceutical companies, pumped a lot of money. They made a bunch of money during this period. And now taxes are also going to go up because more people who are not insured 
are going to start to go into emergency rooms because they couldn't afford to pay or because they couldn't have insurance. What I'm asking is why not why not keep it the way it was during the pandemic all the time? When you need health care, you get it. Um, what would be an analogy? Okay, all right, I've got one. Treat it like the fire department. If you, God forbid, have a fire in your house, whoever you are, wherever you work, the fire department's going to roll out and come put out the fire. Why? Because they're going to save your life. And also, you know, we don't want the whole, you don't want the whole block burning down. You're going to save your neighbor probably too. And then we pay taxes and give taxes to the fire department so they can keep operating. Why isn't that the way we pay for health care? We don't, when you have a fire in your house, we don't call your boss and say, hey, give this person fire, you know, protection insurance. How is it any different than when you're sick or when your child is sick? And especially in the case of something like COVID, because not only are you endangering the person that has it, you're endangering the person around them on the bus or around them at the workplace. I mean, we have this weird two-part system in our country. On one hand, we have a single-payer system. Single-payer refers to the idea that there's one, there's one organization, like Medicare, for example, or Medicaid, paying out for insurance. Not, provide, not providing the health care, per se, but deciding how much we're going to pay and reimbursing doctors and nurses and hospitals and everything else. We have those people. We have those things. Medicare. To give you an idea, about 70 million people are on Medicare. That's if you're over 65. Then we have about 80 or 90 million people today who are on Medicaid. Those are for people who don't who haven't who don't have jobs or those people who don't make enough or those people who's who who are basically lower income people and their dependents and their children. Now, about 15 million are going to lose it now because of the end of the covid emergency. And then we have about 150 million people who get it through their employer. Their employer says, "Okay, we're going to offer this insurance policy and you've got to be covered under it. Now, those standards went up because of Obamacare, but that's basically So we have this kind of two systems going at once. One is a single-payer system, and one is a system of private insurance. And what we did during the COVID emergency is we said, the private insurance thing we're not going to rely upon. It's too unreliable. So we're going to go to a system like Medicare for everybody. And why don't we have Medicare for everybody? We have it for people over 65. Now, why don't we have it for people over 55? And maybe a few years later, we make it people under 50. And then a few years after that, we make it people under 50. Now, people say, oh, because it's so expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah, health care is expensive. This isn't a question of whether health care is expensive. The question is, how do we make it so it, it, we, we make it as efficient as possible? I mentioned the, the COVID vaccine just now. Well, the COVID vaccine is going to go up in cost. Why? Because insurance companies are going to raise the price. Now, in Medicare, it's not going to go up. Because Medicare, they're going to negotiate for lower prices because they represent so many people. And they get, you know, they to some degree get to decide what the reimbursement rates should be. Private insurance, why are we paying insurance companies to do anything? You know what the overhead is in Medicare? 1.4%. You know what it is in insurance companies? Close to 25%. Because they've got to run ads. They've got to, you know, have, have their own bureaucracy. They've got to pay their CEOs. And you don't think people like Medicare? Well, you saw how the Republicans flipped out the idea that they were against it. People love their Medicare. It's not perfect, but it's – you ever been on an 800 number for an insurance company? So I guess the point I'm making is that, you know, we have about half the country that has a form of single-payer health care, Medicare, Medicaid, the Indian Health Service, the VA. These are single-payer systems. And I'm saying why not have that for all Americans? Let's keep the prices down for vaccines always. Let's keep the – Let's keep your, your, your test to make sure you're not sick free always. Let's make, cause that keeps us all the rest of us. That makes the, the rest of us more safe. Now, I advocated for this when Obamacare was passed. Because Obamacare, you know, is not a single payer system. Obamacare is, we're gonna give you money in the form of a subsidy to go out and buy insurance and you're required to buy insurance. And then we're gonna raise the standards for insurance. But a private insurance model. 
It's actually Mitt Romney's idea back in Massachusetts back in the day. It's a private insurance model. We double down on that. So this is not what we – it's not what Biden signed. It's not, what Biden supported. It's not Obamacare. That's a different thing. Now, I think Obamacare has been a, been a success. You notice no nowhere in any Republican proposal nowadays is it to, to get rid of Obamacare because it's brought down costs. Not, in the real sense, it's, it's reduced the rate of, of inflation in, in, in health insurance, and it's covered a bunch of people. Not everybody. There's still about 30 million people who are uninsured in this country. And by the way, by the way, you know who pays for the bills for the uninsured? If you have an uninsured person out here in Midtown Manhattan who gets hit by a bus, an ambulance comes and gets them, brings them to a hospital, tries to help them and puts them back together again. If they're uninsured, you know, you know who pays that bill? Not the bill fairy. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. It's not the bill fairy that pays for that. It's you, the taxpayer, passed along to you. So it's not like you're saving a lot of money by having all these uninsured people. So this is my thing. This is what I wanted to have in the State of the Union. Now, Biden doesn't have the cojones to make this argument because it's a tough one to make. Oh, it's socialized medicine. No, Medicare is not socialized anything. It's just using the buying power that we have. We have so many seniors and getting us all working together. Government-run health care. Not really. It's government-run reimbursement of health care. Still doctors, still nurses, same people. If you're not over 65, ask someone who is what they think about Medicare. They'll say it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good. You have to go to the doctor I want, et cetera. So maybe that part of the COVID emergency we take as a lesson, because I didn't hear anybody screaming about socialized medicine during that time. I mean, that that was a test that, you know, that we passed. We being the people who support Universal national health care for all Americans, for everyone. So that's what we're talking about today. When we get back, we'll take some calls about this and some other things about the State of the Union. And I will also tell the story. I've even got Matt Meany interested in it. I'm going to tell the story of how I met Jordan's mom, had our first date after the State of the Union 2007. And it features Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and the age of blackberries. We'll see on the other side. This is the middle. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Welcome back to the middle. Harry Styles urging us to show a little kindness. A little bit of a chippy State of the Union. I just, you, I just like so much about it. I like the president coming down the center aisle. You know, people lining up to um, to shake his hand. I, I just like speech. I like, you know, we, you know, we think we hear a lot of speeches from politicians, but we don't. We hear like little snippets. But we're talking a little bit about the State of the Union. I'm talking about something that I wished was in it, which was more of a discussion about the health care experiment that we had. Let's get some calls, and we're going to take you till 3 o'clock when Curtis Lee comes in. He is, as always, loaded for bear. Let's start it with the Frank of the story. Frank, welcome back to the middle. Uh, good afternoon, Anthony. You know, I, I'm wondering, I, I wanted to get back to you on this. Uh, were you still or are you able to discover if I had a ban from the radio station? Have you been able to research it as of yet? Yes, you actually were completely banned from the radio station. Now, Frank, you are the first person that I called on this subject. How can you – it's like showing up and saying that I was banned is a little bit like people going on Fox News and saying that they can't get their message out on mainstream media. You're you in there, pal. You're in there. Let's go to Maria in South Carolina. Hi, Maria. Hi. 
Anthony, um, you know, I grew up in Greenpoint and worked in Williamsburg, so I can appreciate um, the community there and what they feel and how important it is for someone to be truthful. But um, when you talk about Biden, you know, he sponsored a bill in 1975 that looked at um, um, addressing the budget and sunsetting it. And sunsetting basically means that we look at it every four years. There's nothing wrong with looking at something every four years. We look at representatives. We hire people. We ought, you know, have people in the Congress. So that's one of my concerns is that we need to not say it's so bad. Pelosi stood up there, and she was not a very good example for the Democrats by ripping up the speech from Trump. I mean, maybe she didn't like it, but that was extremely disrespectful. I, and I just think it's important that we look at both sides and knock, not knock one side. That's, that's fair enough. I, I don't I, I think, you know, I try to on the program here. We call it the middle, by the way. Thank you for, for checking in. We're welcome to come back and visit anytime. Um, you make the I, I try to to do both sides, but it's not always both sides ism. I mean, the Republicans, it's true. Joe Biden, I saw that speech you from 1975. Seems like 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 yesterday. Here's the problem with the sunset idea. If you are planning your retirement and you've paid into Social Security for 25, 30 years and someone says, oh, no, we are going to sunset it and see what happens in the next Congress, a Congress that has shown passing even the most basic things like a debt limit extension becomes a drama. Well, imagine being that person. Some things some some programs are entitlements for a reason. They're written that way so that people can plan their lives, can plan their retirement. Plus, we're paying in based on a certain expectation about what's going to happen at 65 or, or whatever. I mean, let's not be let's not be too cute about it. The Republicans have always had a skepticism about these programs. They've called them socialism from the word go. About half of Republicans voted against Medicare back when it was passed, about half of them. Uh, not quite half, a little less than half vote against Social Security. I mean, so, you know, that I, I, I think it's one thing to say both sides isn't, but let's face it, it is the Republicans who more often have had problems with Social Security and Medicare. Remember, George, George W. Bush, George W. Bush wanted to privatize it, and he had the support of, of, of Paul Ryan, the Speaker, and a lot of members of Congress, and they were all Republicans. Let's go to uh, Jim on Long Island. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Anthony. Uh, well, I'd love to talk about Social Security, too. But as it relates to health care, the best thing you could do to reduce health care costs, with the exception of some kind of catastrophic national insurance, is get insurance out of it. All insurance is is collusion between an insurance company and an industry, in this case, the healthcare industry, to artificially inflate prices by eliminating competition. Doctors should have to compete uh, for business just like every other business. And that would drive the cost of health care down dramatically. And you would have to take out all the abusive legal litigation that goes on with health care. That would dramatically reduce the cost of health care as well. But, Jim, um, but you're leaving out one piece of this. And let me ask you a question because you seem like you've given sure. us some thought. You're leaving out sure. the patient, the person who's sick. Why should that person pay anything? No, no, they should pay something. Why? Because it's a business. Okay, that's not a business. It's not a business. If someone if someone is born, if if someone is born with epilepsy, what are we what are we going to do? Just say because you were born with epilepsy, you're 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 tough tough luck. No, what what I'm saying, what I'm saying is what I I had mentioned, our preface is called by saying catastrophic insurance, meaning that if you, God forbid, have cancer, you're in a serious auto accident, the catastrophic insurance would cover that. But. If you break your fingernail or you break your finger at work, you go to your doctor and you pay for it yourself. It's just like car insurance. When you're in a car accident, you have car insurance to cover your medical costs for serious injuries. But if if you break your nose or you have some kind of minor injury, you should absorb the cost of that. Or your car, for example, if you're in a car accident, uh, if the car is told, you're covered for that. But if you have a little fender bender, you have a deductible. Well, I, I hear bucks. you. You pay for that. I hear you. So here's what I mean, and Jim, I appreciate the call. But here's what Jim is making the argument. Jim is saying that someone should make a determination of what's a serious injury and what's not. We're going to take care of you under some circumstances, but some not. It's Let's go back to the fire department analogy. 
we're not going to come to small fires. We're only going to come to big fires. We're not going to come to things that in some neighborhoods. We're going to go in other neighborhoods. I mean, I just fundamentally want us to step back and say why we assume because we've been indoctrinated with this idea. This is a this is another arm of this is capitalism. Basically, it's a business. No, some things are not businesses. Some you don't get to. I'll tell you why it's not a business. And Jim Jim makes the capitalist argument. If I go and I find out that I have kidney failure, I'm not going to go do some research and go to the doctor. Hey, do you mind if I get a spleen instead? I can see that spleens are cheaper. Or I'm not going to say, oh, oh, wait a minute, kidney failure? Wait, I understand kidneys are much cheaper in November. I'm going to wait till the new model comes out. No, you don't have a choice. This is not a shopping around kind of thing. It's not a capitalist kind of thing. Now, the one point that you make that I do agree with is that if we, the United States of America, put everyone into a buying pool, we can then go to pharmaceutical companies. We can go to everyone and say, listen, we're going to make sure you make profits, but we're going to pay $30 for that COVID vaccine. We're not going to pay 119 or 120 or 130 or 150 because we helped develop it using U.S. taxpayer dollars, and we should all benefit from that. I just don't believe that the business model this capitalist idea works when it comes to health care. That only worry. This isn't a consumer product. I mean, at least that's my, my view. Let's, take a, let's go to David in the Bronx. Hey, David, thanks for checking in. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, Anthony. Uh, if I could quickly respond to this last caller, you've done a pretty good job of it, but I have to give something from real life. You know, catastrophic insurance does not help people like myself who ended up being diabetic uh, through no fault of my own because of family history. Diabetes is an incredibly expensive disease. I wasn't able to take care of it properly, and I am now permanently and totally blind, okay? So I understand the cost of this type of free market nonsense being propagated by your last caller. That's all fine and good unless you come down with a chronic illness, which would not be covered by a catastrophic plan, okay? So, you know, I wish that they would lower the age of Medicare down to 50 to cover the part of the population that uses the most medical care so that younger people who complain about the cost of insurance wouldn't have to pay as much. Why don't we start with that? That sounds pretty sensible to me. Well, Thank that you. is – I mean that's that's a great idea, and I appreciate the call, David. The, 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 the idea, you know, oh, my God, Medicare is hemorrhaging money. Medicare, Yeah, Medicare is expensive. Health care is expensive. It's, health, it's very expensive in our country, and we want it to continue to be something that businesses like that come up with – with drugs for rare diseases, people that come in with fancy MRI machines that we, we don't want to take – we still want people to go into those businesses. And so Medicare, through something called the CMS, Center for Medical I know, Services, comes up with a price. And we say, listen, we want – we're going to make sure you make a healthy profit here. Plus, we're going to bring all these people to your doorstep to be, to be cared for with these things. We're not saying – don't – the, the – the, the, but right now – I don't know anyone who thinks it's a good idea giving 20% to an insurance company. Why? You ever go into a doctor's office and you look at how much personnel that they have to put, how much resource they have to put, all the paperwork they have to do for the, big, for the different insurance companies. Why do that? Let's take the insurance companies out of it. They're adding nothing. They're not taking care of a single patient. They're not giving you a single checkup. They're not giving you a single shot. They're just an insurance company. There's a company. They're there to make profits. Why is that good? Let's put that money into coming up with cure for diseases and taking care of more people. And I just want to reiterate something for all the people who say, well, just with catastrophic coverage or don't, you don't have this. If right now someone gets hit by a bus who's uninsured, we pay. It's not, it's not like we're not paying. It's just how do we do it the most efficient way possible? That's the only question here is how we pay the most efficient way possible. Let's see what Tommy in Brooklyn thinks. Hey, Tommy, thank you so much for calling. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Weiner. Um, universal health care is, is estimated to cost like $24 trillion up to like 2026 if we did it now. Rand Corporation also estimates it's going to be at $160 billion annually. And still some people will have to pay, you know, co-pays and, and premiums and, and deductibles and so forth. My question is, how are we going to pay for this? And another question is, do you think the quality of treatment and facilities will go down? Well, it's, it's a great question. And again, Tommy, just to reiterate, and thank you for bringing that to the table, just to reiterate, it's not whether we pay that amount of money. Healthcare inflation is high. It's lower than it was because of Obamacare because more people are covered. 
but it's still high. The question is how we decide who's going to get paid and how much and whether we do it efficiently. If you want to save some of that money, one, let's take out all the bureaucracy from the health insurance companies. The overhead at at Medicare is 1.5%. You take any for-profit company, see if they can match that. Two, I'm not saying you don't have some co-payments, because I do think you do want to discourage people from walking into the doctor's office for no reason at all, but it should be a modest, a small amount. Uh, A a third thing is, a a third thing is that, you know, it should be not up to your local company or your business to have to deal with health insurance. Why is that? It's like 30% of the cost of an automobile is health insurance benefits for the workers. Why is it, why do we think that Chevrolet is good at making that decision or Joe's Bakery is good at that decision. And why do you think that they should have to administer all that paperwork? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And we have a way we have a real life side by side comparison that we can use right now. If you have private insurance, go knock on your neighbor's door who's a senior citizen, something you should do anyway, just to say hello. A lot of senior citizens isolate and a lot of senior citizens who lose their spouse wind up not going out. You should do that anyway. But say, hey, tell me a little bit about Medicare. Tell me what your experience is like with that. They're not filling out a bunch of paperwork. They're, they're, you know, the system's pretty efficient. They do a survey every year where they ask their customers to give them feedback. 4.8 out of 5 stars they average. Pretty good. My insurance company is the house of pain. So it's not whether or not we spend money on health care. That's not the issue. The issue is whether, one, we save money where we can by getting rid of uh, health insurance overheads. And we also just got done with a test during COVID. You could go, like, in any, any place you wanted, basically. There are these pop-ups all over the place. And go get a test to make sure that you don't have COVID. That's good for the person who's getting tested, and it's good for the person who lives next door to them or is in the workplace. It keeps them both healthier. And you know what we did during this emergency? We said to those testing companies, here's the, 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 what we're going to reimburse you for that test, whatever that price was, seven, eight, nine dollars Now that the emergency is over, they get to charge whatever they want to the, local, to the insurance companies, and we wind up paying it. It's just not very efficient. That's the point. And, and, and the, the, idea is, the idea is not whether we provide – you know. It's government medicine. No, it's that's what that's what the health insurance companies say. Oh, and you want to know who else doesn't like the present system? Doctors don't like it. So sure, they're they're not crazy about sometimes having Medicare say we're not going to reimburse you for X. We're going to give you X minus five dollars, like but that they don't have to deal with the bureaucracy, that they don't have to deal with the paperwork, that they don't have to deal with the forms. It's a better system. It's a better system. And I wish Joe Biden would have had the cojones to stand up and say it. To say, listen, we, you know, look, I'm going to end this emergency, but I'm, intru- I'm going to ask that, my, that Congress pass HR, whatever. Anyway, we're going to go to a break. When I come back, I'm going to tell you the real reason I love States of the Union address, addresses. And it has to do with how I met Jordan's mom. And it features a cameo from then Senator Barack Obama, then Senator Hillary Clinton. And for all you kids in the audience, you're not going to know what this means, but the age of blackberries. We'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Welcome back to the middle. This is Anthony Weiner with you. Uh, we're talking about states of the union. We're talking about health care. We're talking about balloons. But more importantly, we're talking about how I met Jordan's mom. And we'll take you to 3 o'clock. Curtis Lee was coming in for left versus right. So great to have you along. Uh, now, you might already know a version of the story because Huma tells the story in her book, Both And. It's an amazing book. As a matter of fact... We have Matt here. Maybe I'll just have Huma come on the show and she can rebut me if she dares. Anyway, we, this is it's it, so it's it's 2007. It's the State of the Union. 
To give you some context, days before this, a young senator named Barack Obama ha- had the audacity to announce he was going to run for president. You probably remember that amazing speech he gave in Illinois. He announces he's running. He's all the buzz. And the State of the Union, you know because you just watch it and you've seen it before. You know the senators all sit together towards the front of the chamber and the House members take the rest of the seats. And the way they do that is that members show up very early for states of the union and try to get good seats and sometimes have to sit there for hours. There's a congressman called Elliot Engel in the Bronx. Many of you are represented by him. He would come like a day early with a sandwich and a bottle of water and he would just to be on the on the aisle so he can shake the president's hand, whoever the president might be. But I, being who I am, I game the system. I figured out a way to do this. And that is what would happen is just before the president arrives, they took all these seats that were held for the senators at the very front. The senators would come from their their places on the east side of the Capitol, walk as a group, and they would file in down that center aisle and fill in the seats that had been reserved for them. And so I figured out, and this is 2007, I figured out that if I just kind of linger around the door, I'm a member of Congress, I'm allowed to be on the floor. I, if I linger and I just fold myself in with that group of senators, I'd have a seat every time. I didn't have to wait for anybody, and I had a great seat. So 2007, I'm doing this, and I do my plan perfectly, and the senators come across, and I just kind of fold in, and I fold in right behind Hillary Rodham Clinton, the junior senator from New York. And um, I follow her in, and I'm chatting with her the whole way, um, and um, with Hillary, not obviously on the floor, but kind of in the background as she always was, was this exotic and beautiful Huma Abedin, who is kind of famous, famous in this kind of, you know, low key kind of way for being, you know, the power behind this, this incredibly poised, competent, exotic person on Capitol Hill with a bunch of schlubby people like me. So we walk in and we sit down. And because of the way the rows get filled in, and if you go to church, you kind of know, like, you know, if you're nine people away from one another, you actually wind up sitting right front and back from one another. Just below us, in the row just in front of us, was Barack Obama sitting next to Edward Kennedy. And now I'm sitting just behind them, and it's me and Hillary. And that photograph, that picture, that square was all anyone was looking at all night. So... I This is before smartphones. We had Blackberries that you can email back and forth with. And Huma denies saying this, but she emailed something like, take care, you know, keep an eye on our, our girl there, you know. They were both very awkward with one another. And so Hillary was eager to engage in conversation with me. But what she said when she got there, she knew me a little bit. She knew me to be a bit of a smart aleck. She says, listen, no talking, no joking. You stand up when I stand up. You sit down when I stand up. Because I tell you, you know, know in the State of the Union, you stand a certain time. But she seemed eager to kind of engage with me so she can avoid engaging with Senator Obama. It was like a real tension convention. And Huma tells the story that they were having a big debate internally at the Clinton, at Senator Clinton's office, who was the presumptive nominee in 2008, without a doubt. They were having when to make the announcement, and they were trying to figure out when to do it before or after the State of the Union. And then, boom, Barack Obama jumped in and did it first, got an enormous amount of wind at his sails. So there was a good deal of tension there. And, um, and so uh, this picture, me, Hillary, I had nothing to do with the picture. The picture was of Hillary and Barack Obama, but I'm right there with her. And this picture is the front page of the New York Times and won that year one of the, fo- the, the photographs of the year award. I think it was – I think it was a Pulitzer. It was one of the most iconic photographs because the two of them looking past each other, trying not to let their gaze – and Hillary chatting with me, just this schlub congressman. I mean I wasn't – was that was a pretty big deal. I do, I do say so. You know, If it was Ryan looking at that picture, he'd say, who are those people with Anthony? So anyway, so I'm there and I – and I do my best to do what Hillary said, which is I don't do my normal jokes. I pay more attention than I usually pay. I was on my very, very best behavior. And I also had a chance when I had Barack Obama's attention. Now, I was sitting a little closer to him. I said, you be careful, Senator, because if you make a false move, I'm going to be on you like white on rice. You know, kind of smart aleck. I had a little bit of smart aleck in me. Um, he had no idea who I was. <laughs> No idea who I was. <laughs> and he's like, who's this guy with me? Like, is this some senator I haven't met? 
So here's where it gets kind of, and if Jordan, if you're listening, you know that show, How I Met Your Mom, this is, so I, uh, I send an, uh, an email. I don't think they had pins then. I, anyway, I send her an email saying something like, I can't wait to tell you the story of this, um, of what went down here. Um, because everyone was staring. The Obama people were were staring at the screen. Hillary's people, as, as I said, Huma tells this story in a in a in a in a in a much more detailed way in her book. Um, and I send her, I send Huma a text, uh, an email saying, "You'll never, you know, I'm dying to tell someone what went down here. Should we meet afterwards for dinner? Smooth, right? Um, and." Um, that turned out to be that turned out to uh, to be the first time. It wasn't the first time that she and I had met, but it was our first date together. And she tells this story how we went to this restaurant on um, in Adams Morgan that's kind of like the closest thing. Washington food options are not the best. So the closest thing to kind of a diner that they have there. And uh, we went there and they didn't have any tables. She she got there first. They didn't have any tables. And I walked in and whatever. She makes the story up that that. Um, and, um, I saw that she did, she, I, I drank at the time and, and I ordered a beer. And then when she didn't and said that she doesn't drink, I sent it back and I was being, I was my very, very best behavior. And I told her the whole story. And according to her, according to her, she found me charming. And it was one of many times, um, that uh, Hillary and Barack would be in these awkward kind of places together and that Huma would be there. I eventually, you know, Huma and I started dating, and then I went out on the campaign trail in 2008 and frequently traveled with Huma and Hillary. And um, and so the four, the four of us, <laughs> you know, the, the A couple, Hillary and Obama, were there, and then the B couple, Anthony and Huma, were there. Um, but we... Started our our love affair then, and the rest is uh, the rest is history up and down. So Jordan, if you wanted to hear that story, it all started at the State of the Union. So if you ever have a chance to go to the State of the Union, and say, boy, there's a lot going on here, but romance ain't one of those things. Now you know otherwise. So that's my story of the State of the Union. It's been really great having you along. It's been great having this discussion about health care, about the State of the Union, about weather balloons. We'll be back next week. If you miss any part of this podcast, you can always get it on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's available almost immediately after we go off the air. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Left versus Right, where me and Curtis Sliwa, we talk about his obsession with Eric Adams, which continues. But now my fascination with another love affair. There's a lot of love in the air. The love affair between Sid Rosenberg and Eric Adams, which was chronicled in the Daily News on page 2, not even on the gossip page. It's great having you on. I'm so grateful for your support. We'll see you on the other side for Left versus Right.